Hello, documentarians. Haven't said that one in a while. Welcome to the Documenteers podcast. I'm your host, Bob Sham, hosting this show, which is about documentaries and the people who love them. We discuss documentaries and then we ascribe the documentary into history with our Herzog rating system. On this episode, we continue on our long journey of the 30 for 30s to discuss with Drew backroom whispers about the notorious Miami college team. That's right. We're talking about one of the more memorable in the 30 for 30 series, the U directed by Billy Corbin. And this movie is nonstop. I think I've managed to create something every bit as relentless, if not more than Billy Corbin's the U. We are, of course, into our Rock Doc summer where at least half the movies have been about a rock documentary. And I feel like the 30 for 30, The You by Billy Corbin is no exception. It has a connection to that group, Two Live Crew. And especially Luke Skywalker, a.k.a. Uncle Luke a.k.a. Luther Campbell. So I feel like this one counts. So this would make this our sixth music-themed documentary this summer. And we'll have a fun one next week that will, uh, I think, close out the summer nicely. You can find us on social media, whatever, at Documenteers, all that bullshit. Five stars and a review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts is a huge service to the documenteers. Just give a little moment, if you haven't already, to rate us five stars and give us a nice little review. Saying anything, saying anything fun. If it's too dirty, I don't think they'll post it, which is unfortunate. Why can't we say all the erotica, the Herzog erotica that we want to say? Are we not free? We're not free. But five stars in review, and if everyone who listened did that, wow, we'd be uh, we'd be uh, out there swinging for the fences, nailing it left and right. And that's how you can help us. It helps to expose us to the greater podcasting community. Thank you so much. And I see some of your reviews uh, on some sites out there. And I got to say, uh, you're beautiful and you're funny and you got a nice sense of humor. And I appreciate you rating my podcast. One love, baby. Let's get into this movie, this party-ass movie, The You, directed by Billy Corbin. Keep on docking. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. South Miami, are you ready to party with the U right? Making up U songs. You don't have to make them up, they already have the U song. Let's make more. (laughs) 
Fuck Nebraska. Fuck Ohio. Fuck Florida State. Fuck Notre Dame. It's to you, bitch. It's to you, bitch. That's gonna have to be three live crew now that you're in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good deal. Nailed it. You call me Han Solo, but Han spelled H-A-N-S-S-S. Solo spelled S-S-O-L-L-O. He put a lot of thought into that. Well, Uncle Luke, Luther Campbell, used to call himself Luke Skywalker, and he just put two Ys on Skywalker. <laughs> he can't, I don't think he can legally call himself that anymore. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Documenteers. It is I, Bob Sham, and with me here is the 30 for 30 maestro, Drew. Backroom whispers. Good to be back, Bob. Thanks for bringing me on. Uh, the Shamco Studios. It welcomes you in its bosom. This is becoming like a womb for you. This podcast world, opening my eyes to all these new things. So comfortable in here. Uh, good, good. We talk, of course, about 30 for 30 sports documentaries, that ESPN series that came out on their 30th year on air. And they only made 30 of them ever. <laughs> no, and they very quickly were like, People really like these. Now they have 200 plus. And folks, it's probably going to be forever before we get to them all. That's how I get in here. You know, I said, hey, you bring me in for the 30 for 30s. Now I got a job forever right here with you at Shamco Studios. They're making new 30 for 30s all the time. It's never ending. Yeah. You're not getting rid of me anytime soon, man. What are they on season four? In case radio stops being such a lucrative business, got my hooks into your podcast world now. Is it 30 documentaries per season? I don't even know if they're doing seasons anymore. They're just pumping these things out. Yeah, over and over. They are uh, separated in seasons. I think they're up to four now. And I've seen many of the first two and the three and four. I'm really excited to get to those. Do you want to keep going straight down the line? Or would you ever want to do, like, split it up? A current one and an old one Ooh. per session. Well, we've uh, we've skipped ahead before when it's been topical matters. The two bills. Yeah, we did one that just came out recently. We had the Andre the Giant documentary. Oh, that was a good on one. That wasn't even a 30 for 30, an HBO doc. I've got a lot of good feedback on that one. I appreciate people listening. It was a lot of fun to be here talking about that and watching that documentary. So I'm all for going ahead and doing some more topical ones or more recent ones that people are talking about. Yeah. I'd be happy to come in here and discuss those. Turn also, in. going straight through the 30 for 30s, it was a cool idea. It gives us a way to you know, not get lost in all of them. There's so many good ones and so many bad ones, which are also fun to talk about. Well, this one here is the 730 for 30, but it's a big deal. This one is one of the more game changer, the more well-regarded 30 for 30s out there. It was also the first time they made a feature length 30 for 30. Yes, this is the first 30 for 30 that is longer than an hour. I I saw this around the time when it came out and I remember it fondly. I, I felt like it was a good time watching this movie and uh, getting to know these characters. I feel like my opinions is differed slightly on this current viewing now that I'm now that we're going to hit it with the Werner Herzog hammer. But there is a lot of fun things to talk about in this film by Cocaine Cowboys director Billy Corbin called The U about the University of Miami, Florida. I kept finding a picture of him online where he's wearing cargo shorts. So let's call him Billy Cargo Shorts Corbin. You can Absolutely call him that. I will do that. Maybe that's where he keeps his cocaine. Well, a big portion of this movie, it covers quite a span, but uh, most of what we're going to be talking about is from 1983 up until the end 
of the 90s, pretty much. But you know what? Pretty much everything you need to know about this documentary is the intro. This was a big deal for ESPN, their first feature-length 30 for 30. They knew this thing was really taking off and working, and people were into it. Uncle Luke from 2 Live Crew did the music. Did a special theme song called The You. They had all sorts of sleek graphics that we haven't seen in the intro for previous 30 for 30s. All of this green and orange, University of Miami colors, all sorts of cuts to the rap music. They made it a party. Which was the second half of the intro. The first half of the intro was not a 2 Live Crew rap. Kind of weird that they just started out with a little little instrumental documentary style intro music and then they get into the you. They yeah, yeah. And then they buzz they bust it out. You think it's gonna be kind of a little more generic, and then it's like, nah, this is Miami party. And that's what this movie is. This movie is like an hour and forty-five minutes of party, pretty much. They mention it's directed by Billy Corbin at least twice during the intro. <laughs> they got to stretch this intro out a little bit. But it's that all about the you rap. It's all about the you from Uncle Luke. And players dancing. That's all they're showing. Players dancing. Players dancing. Players dancing. We're talking about this school. It's called the University of Miami. Apparently, back in its day, it was like a, one of those schmancier schools, one of those devoted more to higher learning type schools with that, uh, that a lot of people who would come to join these teams in any other scenario would not be able to enter even the college grounds of this school. I mean, boy, in the 70s, they sure sucked ass at football. They sucked. They gave away tickets with whoppers, sometimes not, not even being able to give tickets away. People needed to get free tickets from Burger King to actually show up at Miami <laughs> games. And one, one former player was like, well, couldn't afford whoppers when I was a kid, so, so we couldn't even get those free tickets. <laughs> so we still didn't go to Miami football games. The college is subsidizing its football program at a million dollars a year. They almost dropped it. They were almost like, this football thing, not working for us. And then along comes a man with a very nice resume. His name is Howard Schnellenberger, and he has a pipe. Schnellenberger. He's off the Don Shula coaching tree. And if you're a coach in Miami, I mean, Don Shula is the legend. The undefeated Miami Dolphins season. That's straight-up respect. That's respectability for your program. I mean, Schnellenberger was a Don Shula assistant coach. He's the head coach for Miami University. He definitely was a sign that they were serious about moving in a positive direction. He says right away, we're going to win a national championship. Everyone's like... <laughs> you don't even know what letters supposed to be on your helmets. It was an memory you. <laughs> a lot of the U players would be recruited from within South Florida, and they recount a time early in their lives where Miami was a rough place to live. There was a lot of police killings of young black men 
gosh, you know, some things don't seem to really change that much, do they? It seemed like they were having a lot of race riots going on in Miami, and it was real hardcore, like, like a lot. Not good. Not a good place to be. People holding their fists out of their car windows as they drove to show what color they were in certain neighborhoods. Wow. So you wouldn't get your car attacked. Like That's pretty fucked up. They said there was a riot like every two years, and a lot of corrupt police would be acquitted. They were talking about a man who was like a like an insurance executive who was shot by police. Just some dude who had a actually had a really good job, but he was black. He gets shot. Cops are, it's legal for them to be afraid and shoot you. All they have to do is just get on a, a, a in a courtroom and say that they were afraid, and then a judge will let them do what they want. He said, that's why you had the hungriest football players in this part of the country, because it was the only way out of this really tough, dangerous situation that they found themselves in. Not just the riots every couple of years. Some of these neighborhoods in Miami were pretty rough, even when things were good. Yeah. Youth football is very big in Miami. Colleges from around the country would recruit high school players from this area. And Howard Schnellenberger, they had a plan to recruit from South Florida, from Daytona all the way down. The state of Miami. We're going to recruit all of South Florida, and that's going to be our territory. And again, high school games here were such a big deal that people had gamblers coming over to fuck them up if they were ruining high school games. You think about it, at this point, there's no Florida Marlins, there's no Miami Heat, there's no Florida Panthers. The only thing they had was football. They had the Dolphins, yeah. The Dolphins, and they had youth and high school games that, to this day, youth football in South Florida is a big deal. So Howard was this white dude who would drive through black neighborhoods. Not many white people would drive through. And it was very odd to be uh, living in these areas and seeing Howard with his pipe roll up to a kid's house. In the inner cities in Miami, everybody's noticing right away, like, oh, who's this white dude in a jacket with a pipe coming to your house? <laughs> and then they'd recognize him. They'd say, that's Coach Schnellenberger. And, he, and Schnellenberger would be like, I want you to rep your hometown at the University of Miami. And if he really liked the guy he's trying to recruit, he would leave his pipe at his house accidentally. That was a nice touch. So that he had a reason to return. Classic move. But it does leave an impression, especially on these guys who grew up here and never had anybody come into their neighborhoods before. And a lot of these kids are like, hell, why not? And they rallied up and they decided to join the University of Miami. Making it a hometown thing was such a big point of pride in this. You representing your area, your home. This is Miami. You know what? You also get to go to Coral Gables, which is where the University of Miami was, which was a nice place. It was not the inner city whatsoever. But all these kids, all these kids who played against each other in high school were arch rivals. We're like, we're all going to go to Miami. And since we've all been good playing against each other, maybe we'll be good in college if all these high schools kind of team up to represent their area. It was a culture shock for a lot of these kids coming into these grounds because usually they would be escorted or arrested. It's called Coral Gables. A visit to Coral Gables, one of the world's most beautiful cities, may well feature a trip to the new campus of the University of Miami. Schnellenberger forms his team and right off, they start getting it good. They are winning games. They have a really good first season. How many seasons did Schnellenberger coach? It wasn't that clear. Only like three or four, I think. It made it seem like he coached one and then bailed. No, it was more than that, but it wasn't much more. I mean, maybe it was like two or three. Wow. 
But uh, yeah, he won the national championship and then got out. So I don't know if he won that championship in the first season or not. This movie's a big party. We should point that out. This movie is really fast-paced, too. I know, I know what you like to see in your 30 for 30s. You like things like rad dunks. Hell yeah, I like rad dunks. Killer runs, some touchdowns. You want that shit? I want those highlights. I want those those moves, those dance parties afterwards. Well, you maybe got more of that than you bargained for in this one. This movie is nonstop. It's all all it is, is it's interviews, it's highlight clips, and it's going back and forth. It's telling you what's happening at breakneck speed. It's just going at it. Non-stop, one after the other. Highlights, game, game, highlight, game, highlight, recruiting, game, game. You're not really sure what's going on when at some point in this documentary. You can get a little bit lost. You got two live crew music. Some era-specific beats going on. Kids score some cool touchdowns and then do cool celebrations. I like the karate chop when they sacked the quarterback and they did like karate chop moves. <laughs> they had a lot of moves. They said he was doing the George Jefferson at some point. When the U wins the national championship against Nebraska. Real dramatic win. This underdog Miami team has the lead. Nebraska comes back in the last couple seconds. They're going they for have a conversion. A to tie it up. But legendary Nebraska coach Tom Osborne's in charge of this unstoppable Cornhuskers team. Again, just how funny it is that it's the Nebraska Cornhuskers <laughs> are the team that's coming into this Miami party. It's such a perfect dichotomy for Miami just, you know, going their different way and being this upstart team. But Osborne goes for two. He goes for the win. A ballsy, ballsy coaching move. And he's got to be thinking, look, we're number one in Nebraska. We're this unstoppable force. We're going to win this game. And you know what? It doesn't work. Miami wins. <laughs> Miami wins the national championship. And all of a sudden, this hometown's kind of coming together. People stop talking about the riots, and they're talking about the hurricanes. You got black people and white people, everybody in the city of Miami, lots of Hispanics. And they all want Everybody's wanna, cheering. And they all want to fuck Howard Schnellenberger. And quarterback Bernie Kosar went on to a pretty nice NFL career himself. And it does kind of placate a lot of the tensions in the city. I mean, Miami's a big town. There's always going to be problems, but the U winning a lot did help a little bit. And all of a sudden, you're seeing Miami gear popping up all over the country. People are into the Hurricanes for some reason. This team that had never been anything before, they resonate. They're exciting. They're different. Look, I know somebody listening to this podcast right now used to own a Miami Hurricanes starter jacket. Guaranteeing that one of you listeners, at least one, had a Miami Hurricanes starter jacket. I this was a team, that. man. The U was something. But as Howard states, Cinderella doesn't go back to the ball. And Schnellenberger, as someone describes him doing, kicks down all his sandcastles. That quote would stick in his brain. Because Howard would leave with the hopes of forming a Miami USFL team. Now, if you heard our Small Potatoes episode. Oh, man. Or have seen the 30 for 30 Small Potatoes. You know the story of the USFL, and you know it does not pan out. I think they were called, like, the Miami Spirit or something. Pretty lame. Weird. But Schnellenberger got offered to be their coach, their assistant general manager, basically one of those package deals that you still see today to get the big-name coaches. But he didn't realize that Donald Trump was about to make the USFL not a thing anymore. And the Miami USFL team 
never actually happens. Nope. So he leaves Miami where he's totally beloved. And you've got these people in the interview saying if he had stayed with Miami, he could have been one of those legendary coaches that you hear about, that you talk about in reverent whispers today still. Your Bear Bryants, your Tom Landry's. I don't know if Howard Schnellenberger really has the same ring to it, but <laughs> maybe it could have happened if it wasn't for the USFL folding. He's the one who made Miami into the U. But you know what? They hired Jimmy Johnson as their next coach. I'm Jimmy Johnson. I'm not someone else. Away from Oklahoma State, he's got the bravado. He's got perfect hair that never messes up no matter what the weather is. He has more of a humble <laughs> background than a lot of college coaches did at the time. So he kind of understands the rough and tumble background that a lot of his players come from. And he's able to relate to his players on a different level. The players love embellishing, and he does not mind it. Someone calls him the first black coach of Miami, <laughs> which was kind of a weird little throwaway quote. Again, everything in this doc is coming at you so fast. It's just moving. Jimmy Johnson's the next coach of Miami. And he doesn't tear down what Schnellenberger started to build. He doubles down on that, really gets into it. He's still recruiting the inner cities. He's bringing the people of Miami into Miami University. But he loses five games in his first year. But his second year, he kind of builds his way to do it. And his way is a badass defense. Apparently, there's some uh, in classic college football. If a team is uh, getting blown out, then apparently it was common for the other team to be a little nice and let them run one in or throw one in or something like that. That's everywhere in sports. You don't want to run up the score is the phrase. But Jimmy and the U and his players were like, nah. You know, and I get this. It's like if I were a player getting stomped, you know, then I'm getting stomped. I want to earn. If I score once, I want to be able to earn that score. I wouldn't want it handed to me. But the problem everybody had here is they're playing Notre Dame, and it's the last game for Notre Dame's coach. His last game of his career. And you know what? Miami goes out and fucking humiliates them. <laughs> Just ruins that everything. Jimmy Johnson did put in the backups, but the backups were dominating. But he never stopped throwing passes. He, he never ran out the clock. He kept playing the game, even with his backups. And they run the score all the way up to 58-7 to on Notre Dame. <laughs> and you know what? That's the reputation is cemented right then. Jimmy Johnson's this brash kind of a dick coach. The U is this badass team that doesn't give a damn about how it's supposed to be done. There's one thing maybe you can... If you're the coach on the losing team and you're talking about how the way it's supposed to be, I don't know, you're just going to sound like a whiner because you lost the game. But, but this is Miami's big-time 4-3 defense that he installed. That defense is an absolute beast, and they have so much confidence right now. What he's doing is working for this team. They're getting their confidence up. They're getting to play their way. They're getting to be the bullies. They're getting to be the badasses of the college football world, and they love talking shit. <laughs> they play a number one team in the country, Oklahoma, with their superstar, Brian Bosworth at the time, who's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. The Bosworth with his dumb glasses. So what the Miami players decide to do just on a whim is wake him up at 5 a.m. by calling his hotel <laughs> and saying, we're going to kick your ass. <laughs> and then other guys are on the background in the phone doing the Warriors chat. Like, Bosworth, come out and play. <laughs> There's a coin toss on TV for this game. They don't mic the coin toss after this because they refuse to shake hands. And they're straight up threatening each other. Like, I'm going to wreck your whole life out on this film. I call it a little bitch. 
<laughs> just <laughs> going back and forth. And this is shocking America right now. Ooh, what's happened to our college football world? The camera loves it. Jimmy loves it. And Jimmy says, so long as you win these games, look, I can handle any criticism. They oh. said they're the Ali of their era. They're going to punch you in the face and they're going to talk shit while they do it. Ali was nicer uh, off <laughs> off the field. I, I would off out of the ring. I would bet than a lot of these young U players. They were fucking good, and you know they were fucking dicks, man, because they were young and they knew they were good. And you're just not going to be a great person with that combination a lot of the time. And again, most of these guys are coming from the hoods around Miami, and they're getting in there and they're getting told that they're the baddest people on the block that they can do whatever they want and they're doing it they're being so tough they're dominant they're taking so much pride in this defense that is just wrecking other teams other teams are scared to play them they want to take these rough hurricanes teams off of their schedules <laughs> there's brawls in about half the games and they're like hey look man it's called swagger they knew they were on tv they were making it a show and it's working for them but I love the line from Jimmy Johnson. People start calling him on it. They're like, look what you're doing. Look at these teams. They're just running wild. They're totally out of control. And he says, look, what we do on the field is we do what I coach and we do what I allow. Says he's still completely in charge of this team. They said he's basically coaching from the sidelines, throwing up both middle fingers. <laughs> he's coaching with his middle fingers out to the other team. He's still coaching. It's not a completely roughshod, out-of-control team. He's still coaching them. But he's coaching them in this way to just be like, look, I don't give a shit what you think. We're going to hit you in the mouth, and we're going to have fun doing it, and we're going to dance on your face afterwards. Now, the U has an important supporter who does not play. That is Luther Campbell of Two Live Crew. Who would be hit with obscenity charges it's a, and a two live crew in that era with your tipper gores. Parental advisory sticker. Hard like a rock when you make that pussy pop. Uh, it was all a bunch of bullshit. John Denver came in to defend two live crew. Two live crew would play shows and get arrested for obscenity because their music is like ultra sexualized party music. But he also repped the U all up in his music. They would let him hang out on sidelines and shit. And everyone loved Luther Campbell. He was almost the biggest cheerleader for the U in those days. And he's kind of symbolic of them, too. Their image is working together. Miami didn't have a tradition because they used to suck so bad and they barely had a football team. They didn't have the tradition that your Notre Dames or your Oklahoma or your Nebraska have. So they kind of had to be outlaws. They were building their own image from scratch. And this is the one they had. They, I mean, Two Live Crew now, looking back on it, it's kind of a joke. you like think of them today you're like okay yeah whatever all your songs are kind of a joke they're funny but again in this era that they were in they were completely badass they were <laughs> getting arrested congress wanted to shut them down and they had this link to miami they were up to miami gear on all of their cover their album covers and at their concerts and you guys out there with your starter jackets too maybe oh, two yeah. live crew had a part of that <laughs> 
Starter jackets were huge when we were kids. I know, and the Miami was one of the most popular ones out there. I had a University of Tennessee pullover, and I wasn't really even that into it, but that was like the big team in the house. Like, you rooted for, it was either Vandy or UT. And, there, and when I got older, it seemed like everyone liked Alabama, but I had a UT pullover starter jacket. And to this day, I hate pullovers. I need zippers, dude. I'm completely in agreement with you, but when I was a kid, Starter jackets were so cool, especially among all those dudes who liked sports and played sports. You had to have a starter jacket. You could barely get the ones from any teams in in my neighborhood growing up in New York. Those were sold out all the time. I was begging my parents finally got whatever starter jacket they actually had on the shelf. I think I had an Orlando Magic one because I was like, yeah, Shaq and Penny are pretty cool, right? Some guy came and spoke to at my school about gang violence in the Montgomery County, Clarksville area and how it was common for gang members to wear starter jackets. So a lot of parents got scared. You know who else commonly wore starter jackets? Every kid. <laughs> it was wild. But I did wear it because it was kind of a status symbol. And when you're that young, you're concerned about that shit. When I started getting old enough to make my own money and I'm buying my own shit, suddenly things get a lot cheaper. Did you steal some extra biters to put on your cords too? Like a real <laughs> badass kid? I used to put trash in people's hoods, in their starter jacket <laughs> hoods. they flip them over and trash would fall out. Anyway, that's a total sidebar. Good times though. They go to the Fiesta Bowl where they show up in fatigues and the you players are pissed at players from Penn State. That's who they're going to play. They're saying it's a war, so they're all showing up in army fatigues and basically intimidating the shit out of the college football establishment. Jerome Brown gets on a mic and takes off his fatigues jacket for some reason and talks into a microphone. Did the Japanese go and sit down and have dinner with Pearl Hawkins before they bombed them? Let's go. Bunch of like dumb posturing. Yeah, they're but, being badasses. <laughs> they're being teenage badasses is what they are. But Penn State, it seems like they're about to, they're rallying back after a couple of interceptions. A couple? You're being nice to Vinny <laughs> Testaverde right here. Penn State wins. And players and fans are crying. Penn State doesn't win. Miami loses. <laughs> You cannot beat their frame of mind, man. Miami outplayed them so much, but Vinny Testaverde has a zero touchdown, five interception performance. It was a nightmare. And so we outplayed Penn State in every possible aspect of this game, except the turnovers. And they lose, and all of a sudden, everybody is down on Miami. They're bad guys, and they're... They're ruining football. Sports Illustrated has a front page cover that says Miami should get rid of their football team. And Jimmy Johnson's like, look, if we won, every kid in America is wearing fatigues today and you're all complimenting them on it. <laughs> but they got Dean Wormer coming after him. Uh, Michael Irvin acknowledges that they were very overconfident in those days. And Jerome Brown admits that he regrets the fatigues. It kind of sucks when you're putting it on so hard and then you lose <laughs> the game. And the president of the university wants Jimmy to apologize to America. I wonder how that's going to go. And how perfect is this team president? They, they say he's the, you know, the Animal House team warmer type. He absolutely is. His name is Tad Foote. Edward Taddeus Foote II. Sounds like he's fitting in with Michael Irvin in the crew, right? Luther Campbell probably a personal friend he threatens not to sign jimmy johnson and jimmy johnson's like go fuck yourself and your mom and your whole family and he's like oh sorry mr johnson and they ended up signing the he's trying real hard to clean up the image of miami and jimmy says yeah kiss my ass we bring you all the money 
Yeah. All the money's coming in from this Miami football team that's doing great. But Tad Foote makes a great villain for the Miami team <laughs> to come together in their hatred of. He is the most generic. He's the, like a generic 80s villain, the pencil neck geek. He's the rich kid. He probably owns a couple of yachts. <laughs> He's probably never been to anywhere where any of these players grew up or lived. <laughs> the players saw him as the personification of America hating them. They've got a good villain, and there's nothing you can rally around better than a good villain. Who's really bringing this team together again? You know, they got, they got Vinny Testaverde's back. But look at this, man. They're not even mentioning this in this fast-paced document. Again, I just want to say how fast-paced this is. Yes. It's coming at you just after, after, after all these interviews. The timeline is just moving on down, and it's going so quick. You're like, wait, Bernie Kosar was their quarterback for that first national championship. Now they got Vinny Testaverde. Like, these are big NFL names. They barely mention those guys. They're the quarterbacks, but they're not the inner city guys that are the reputation that Miami's gotten right now. But they're still big time, and they're still interviewing them nowadays. Bernie Kosar's got a lot of interviews in this, and he was one of my favorites. Modern-day Bernie Kosar just looks like everybody's drunk uncle in his <laughs> interviews. They don't age well for obvious reasons. <laughs> Partying wealth and getting smashed all the time. But they were undefeated that season, except for the loss in the championship. Then next year in 1987, they feel like they have some unfinished business. They go undefeated again and make it to the national championship at home in their own stadium, the Orange Bowl. Against Oklahoma. Now their quarterback is Steve Walsh. Just to, you know, trying to keep the quarterbacks on tap. Goes Aria Testaverde. Now it's Steve Walsh. They win their championship. They dominate. Melvin Bratton goes down on an injury, which is unfortunate whenever anyone gets an injury. Especially one of their stars. They say he was the heart and soul of the team. He blows out his knee real bad in this game and probably ruined, cost himself millions in NFL money. Oklahoma fumbles and Miami runs it in. Miami wins. National champs again. They say they are so big in Miami now. Everybody loves the Hurricanes. These college sophomores are getting the VIP treatment in every club in Miami. The Miami Dolphins players are waiting in line behind them. <laughs> That's how big they are. The NFL teams like waiting in line behind college sophomores because everybody loves the Hurricanes. But you know what? When you get that big, coach gets an offer. Jimmy puts in, a, he's with the players and he's all, and the players talk about how he always does something weekend before the games, get their heads right. He puts in a tape and in the tape, there's something called the Seminoles Rap. Florida State Seminoles, they did a rap. On Saturday night, we'll strut our stuff. The show the nation, the nose are tough. And they're talking shit. We don't expect glory. For opening holes, our reward is ranking in the polls. So bring on Miami, Michigan State, Clemson, Carolina, and the other eight. They're putting it on, not unlike the way the University of Miami does it. And in that is a Jerry curled Deion Sanders. Hey, I'm Deion Sanders. Should know my name. But if you don't, then I'm not to blame. I got real class feet with Moose Spout. You throw them out, well, you know I'll be there. You see, I play my best when the game's on the line. I guess that's why they call me practice. Some call me cocky, and I know that. But that's how I got to do the Seminole rap. Rapping about how great the Seminoles are. Hey, QBs, watch out, my friends. I'm older. Hey, because I'm back again. You can double me up on every play. It won't matter. Can't keep me away. When the ball is snapped, I'm off the line into the trenches where I will grind. Stay out of my way. I'm taking no flag. Just want to kick back doing a Seminole rap. They're basically becoming the, the little brother to Miami, following them up, jumping in on this train, and they recruit Florida, too. 
So these two teams right now are just doing their hometown work. Florida State is ranked number one going into the season, but Miami almost literally wipes their ass with them. They had a little inspiration there. They also, I mean, they have so many rivalries. There's the Notre Dame rivalry where the Notre Dame had these shirts that said Catholics versus convicts. That's a good one. <laughs> I actually remember these, too. We're getting towards... They, yeah, Miami didn't want to make friends no. with any of these other programs. Notre Dame and R- Miami run through the same tunnel. Who the fuck thought that was a good idea? And there's a fight before the kickoff. The ref in that game makes an admittedly later... He admits that it's a bad call, makes a bad fumble call, and Notre Dame would go on to win that game. And Jimmy, as you said, contracts come a-calling, and Jimmy goes off to coach the Dallas Cowboys. God bless Texas. That Notre Dame with loss with the bad call and that 1986 championship loss with the five interceptions are Jimmy's only losses in his last three years with the Hurricanes. Wow. And you can say both of those probably should have been wins. This is a dominant, dominant team right now. And those who remember NFL football in the 90s know that the Cowboys dominated that decade. God bless Texas. He was coaching for those championships, Jimmy Johnson. They talk about how much he loved Miami, and he still considers it really his home. But Jimmy was a businessman, and the Dallas Cowboys offered him a boatload of cash to come to the NFL, and he made the business move. But they hire another guy. His name is... Dennis Erickson. And this is... Great, because they go from Jimmy Johnson, who was one of them. He was really a father figure to a lot of these guys. They loved playing his style, and they like <laughs> one of the players is like, we just hired some guy from Idaho. He's actually from Washington, but you know, <laughs> same thing here. And he comes and he looks like yeah, he looks like a skinny little nerd yeah. after the bravado of Jimmy Johnson. But he's a real players coach, and real fast they really like Dennis Erickson too. He's still letting them play his way. And the big thing was he left the defense alone. He let the Miami defense continue to be the Miami defense. To just beat the hell out of these other teams, to do their moves. They say, you know what, we loved Jimmy Johnson, but we really wanted to prove that we could do it without him, too. Yeah. And 1989, they do it. Miami beats Notre Dame that year and also beats Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Dennis wins in his first year. He tweaks the offense a little bit. He, Like you said, he keeps the D. But he has to have his presence felt in the offense, and it actually works out really well. They get a little bit more explosive. They do Jimmy Johnson's deathbed confession as he was leaving Miami. Beat Notre Dame for me, guys. <laughs> Just beat Notre Dame. I'll be on the Cowboys. God bless Texas. But uh, you guys beat Notre Dame, okay? They do. They win the championship. That's three rings in six years with three different coaches. He was declared the team of the 80s. You can't argue it. But now it's the 90s, and they lose their first game of the season to BYU. The anti-Miami. <laughs> the un-Miami. The bizarro. The, could not be more opposite. And you can tell that Michael Irving and a lot of the former players, they're still, to this day, bitter about that. This Miami team really came together as these kind of outcasts. And since they were all from the same area, again, they grew up playing against each other in high school. Their rep in their hometown was a big part of the recruitment to Miami. 
said even the guys who graduated, they still feel like they're part of Miami. It's a big legacy. So they're coming back to all the games, even though they're in the NFL now. They're still going to Miami games, standing on the sidelines. And they say after they lose that first game of the season to BYU, every ex-Hurricane in the NFL is calling the team, being like, you're fucking it up. <laughs> We're Miami. We don't do this. Don't ruin our legacy. Get your shit together. How intimidating does that have to be? I mean, what a team this is that people are this into it after they get their NFL money. Like, don't mess with our legacy. We still are the you. So they rally back and they end up having a good season. And they go in to play Texas Tech very confident. Uh, Texas Tech. God bless Texas leave some grab bags for the Miami players. They're playing into this like ragging scene that Miami is into. They leave like little things of cotton in the grab bags. It's a cotton ball. It's a nice gift. Yeah. Yeah. Miami's not happy about it. They headhunt the kick returner. They say, look, I'm going to knock this dude out. First play of the game. (laughs) And it it happens. There's so many penalties. The U wins. There are so many fucking penalties that everyone's just like, yo, you gotta, you can't. (laughs) The Texas, the Texan fans were, are mostly cleared out of this game by the third quarter. The NCAA decides they have to do something to protect their product. They institute a code of conduct, and it's got all these examples of plays that shouldn't happen anymore, of, you know, after the play dancing and stuff. And just about every example of what you shouldn't do anymore is Is a Miami video clip. (laughs) It's their highlight reel. (laughs) And it would be very specific. It'd be like, no simulating weapons. Here's a Miami guy pretending to so No bowing at the waist. It's like, that's a polite maneuver, right? <laughs> no doing the George Jefferson. <laughs> or the Wheezy. <laughs> or the Carlton. Just don't do it. But Miami, they love this reputation that they have. They say that other teams come in already scared of them. They wouldn't be surprised if the Miami players had weapons on them during the game. And one of the things they love the most is running through the smoke at the beginning of the game. And at the Orange Bowl against Nebraska, Nebraska requests no smoke at the beginning of the game. It doesn't work. It happens anyway. Some dude takes a fire extinguisher and just blows it into the air and they run through it. They said they love this smoke. It's such a big deal to them. They're talking about it in reverential tones, just like you run through the smoke, you feel like there's a thousand people there with you. Everybody who went to Miami is part of this team coming onto the field through the smoke. It's part of their intimidation factor. It's part of getting themselves hyped up. You know what got me really hyped up during this this era of this game? Dennis Erickson's tracksuits. Man, there were some slick tracksuits here in the early 90s. It was looking good in that Idaho long. As you can imagine, young players, really good at football, they get into all sorts of trouble. There was a fun story of where they went to go beat up some gangsters and <laughs> at a club, and some dude who knew what was up was like, no, no, they're real killers, you gotta leave. They thought they ran this town. That was Michael Irvin trying to get in the fight, too. <laughs> but I love that everybody on the team was like, yeah, we'll show up. Michael Irvin needs some backup. Let's go. Let's go to this club. Rough some people up. Oh, wait. No, let's just get out of here, man. But we're talking about (laughs) college sports here. So you know what often gets discussed in college sports. Player cash scandals involving both current and former players, plus two live crews, Uncle Luke, formerly known as Luke Skywalker with two Y. 
Man, he's great in these interviews about this part of the team. He's just standing there saying, giving a kid $100 to buy him some sneakers so he won't go jump in some other kid's dorm room, steal his stereo. Nah, I wouldn't give a kid any money. Get an interception, you get uh, X amount of dollars out of the pot. Uh, you get a, a big hit, you'll get X amount of dollars out of the pot so you can go and buy you a T-shirt or buy you a pair of jeans. Nah, I would never encourage anything like that. If they need it, $50 to buy some food that weekend, nah, I would never give it to him because that was against the NCAA rules. He's basically winking super hard the whole time he's talking. That's how much respect they have for the NCAA at this point. This one guy's talking about how he can't even afford to buy a jersey with his own number on it. Now, this is my biggest problem with college sports. I've always felt that playing on a team and getting a free education, that's a good trade-off. But you can't just throw out their names and their numbers out there, sell them to other kids, and not give... You're using their name and you're using their talent to make money on the side. They deserve a cut of that. That really seems like such an easy fix. Yeah, you, you might not be able to pay them to play football, to pay to recruit them to your school. That makes sense. The uh, amateurism rules, um, for that part of it. I don't think they need to be paid to come to school. They're getting the, the education. <laughs> yeah, they're getting the education that they really care about. But they're also getting the exposure and the needs to get drafted and make the big money later in life. But the merchandising, the selling of their name, yeah, give them the money off of that. Come on. Yeah, it should be illegal to do that. There's an estimated one billion dollar impact on this on Miami. This is the biggest team for one of the biggest college teams for almost 20 years and it shows in the city and it, a lot of these kids are going to this school because they love the University of Miami football team. We're again moving at super warp speed here through this documentary. We're seeing dancing. We're seeing plays, we're seeing more national championships. They win that Nebraska game 22 to nothing. But then, Butch Davis comes in as the coach when Erickson leaves, and he tries to clean up Miami. Yeah. He's got a clear mandate. He <laughs> needs to clean up Miami. And you know what? I don't think we hear his name again through the rest of this documentary. Well, they mentioned <laughs> that during his tenure. Apparently, they still will go on to win a, uh, another championship after Butch Davis takes over. The year after he leaves. But they talk about how under his tenure, it was the first time that they had lost two in a row in so many years, and then three in a row in the home games. And while they're going over the Butch Davis years, they're showing footage of big machines demolishing the University of Miami Stadium. Yeah, this is real subtle in the documentary. <laughs> the whole time they're breaknecking their way through the Butch Davis years, the construction tearing up the Orange Bowl is happening. And they're saying stuff like, hey, the last time Miami lost at home, the freshmen who are playing for that team right now were in the third grade. That's how good they were. Somebody says we went from national champs to national chumps. It's a Canes thing, Drew. It's a Canes thing, Drew. But what they did right there, the Canes thing, bringing the inner city to the university and just winning, nonstop winning, really bonded the city together. From pretty much this point on, we didn't really hear anything about Miami riots or anything. That was kind of a thing of the past. They yeah. like to throw this in right here at the end. Again, this documentary is going so fast, it gets kind of repetitive. 
Yeah. You know me. I love rad dunks. I love super highlight films. I almost got tired of watching Kane's players <laughs> dancing after making a big play because they showed it so many times yeah. uh, with pretty much no context, just through these interviews, through these highlights going on and on. They like being the bad guys, but they're really good at football. Yeah. And they play football like they're bad guys, but they play football really good. Strength. Through the years, through Jimmy Johnson years, Strength. through Schnellenberger years, Strength. through Erickson years. And Butch David happens, and they're like, oh, let's wrap up the movie. There's some in-stats with this movie. The Canes, during their heyday, had a 58-game winning streak. Holy shit. What? Still a record. For 14 straight years, U of M players were first-round picks into the NFL. Also still a record. Man, look for, at all. These were some of the biggest names in the NFL. And I love what they did at this point in the movie. I really, really liked this. They flashed to the introductions that we all know from watching NFL games where the player introduces himself on video with his little face lined up against his position. And he says what college he's from. And they just do a little montage of NFL players that we've all learned to grow up and seen and recognize going, the you. The you. The you. The you. The you. Better known as the bad boys. <laughs> the U. At the U, baby. You know it. The U. It's not Miami University. It's the U. And it really drives this home, this, this attitude they had, this family, this bonding, and of course the title of the documentary. To you, baby. Then they mentioned that the Orange Bowl was torn down in 2008. That was eight years after Butch Davis left Miami. Yeah, I get what you were doing showing it being torn down when you talked about his Miami tenure. But that's a little disingenuous right there. The Orange Bowl gets torn down eight years after Butch Davis left. And the first year after he left, they win the national championship under their new coach, Coker. And Butch Davis went 51-20 and 20 in his Miami tenure, which again, not exactly 58-game home winning streak. Well, not the worst thing you've ever heard of either. Did the swag come back? That's what you need to know. That's what we we never hear at the end. Did they lose their swag forever during the Butch Davis years? You know what? They kind of did. You look back through the more recent years of Miami history, they've cycled through coaches real quick. They kind of fell out. They haven't been in top 25 for a while now. Until this past year. We saw a little bit of that Miami swag come back with the turnover chain. And them ranked second overall. Nice. Maybe it's going to come back a little bit. But man, these Hurricane songs. It's all about the we do our end credits to another Hurricanes themed song. When our intro credits were to the U from Luther Campbell. I mean... All about I know the you're you. splicing in some of these into our show when we're at the end. You know, I'm going to be some hurricane song. It's all about the you. It's all about the you. The you. Fuck you, Notre Dame. All about the you. It's all about the you. It's not really the great. You. Fuck you, <laughs> Longhorns. It's all about the you. All about the you. The you. <laughs> And we've done it. We've gone straight through the longest, doubly as long as any 30 for 30 we've talked about before. The longest 30 for 30 yet. The U. <sighs> the U. By Billy Cargo Shorts Corbin. Now, Drew, we don't rate in star rating scales. 
That's for Nebraska. Let Nebraska do that. This is the U, baby. It's all about the U. It's all about the U. You come from Idaho with some stars? <laughs> hey, hey, let me tell you something. Here's the U. We measure in hertz songs. Oh, yeah. I'm going to rate this in one through five hertz songs. I'm going to throw it to you. You're going to do an end zone dance. That's the way. So then you're going to rate it one through five hurt songs. We're going to combine these into a championship season of best out of 10 hurt songs. I'll go first. The U. This is a party movie. Miami's a party city. And these players, they made the University of Miami a party college. I cannot deny that this film is a lot of fun in a lot of ways. I could also say that it's maybe a bit long. And it seemed like at the end, when they're overlapping that demolishing in the in the butch years, how it's like, it kind of seemed like, oh shit, uh, how do we uh, lay this part out? And they just kind of like settled on something a little too into the highlight reel. But as far as like great plays and watching a lot of fun football, this more than any 30 for 30 so far gives you so much of that. So... There is a lot of fun factor. There's a lot of fun music playing in it. Billy Cargo Shorts Corbin, he doesn't do too bad of a job at making sure that this is something that is enjoyable all the way through, even if it does get a little long in the tooth. Because, you know, you're at a party, you're enjoying the party, but sometimes there's moments in the party where it's like, I'm just going to go, there's nobody in this room back in this house, I'm just going to sit here and let myself decompress. You don't get to decompress. Billy Cargo Shorts Corbin, he doesn't want you to decompress. It's the you, baby. I give this 3.5 hertz socks. I was looking forward to this the whole time. You know, since you invited me here on the Documenteers to talk about 30 for 30s, this was one of the ones I was looking the most forward to. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I remember watching this one, maybe when it came out, maybe a little bit after that, but quite a while ago. And being like, man, that's one of the coolest 30 for 30s. When you just look at the list of all these 30 for 30 movies, this one jumps out at you. You say, okay, it's the first feature length one. It's a big deal. I remember this one. This was a really fun one. It's one of my favorite 30 for 30s. It's absolutely the way I remembered it. Watching it again back here, it wasn't that good. I don't, I don't know what, where this came from, that it was so good. I don't know if it's maybe because Miami University as a whole has kind of fallen off in, in past years as their football team. I was checking the clock. But it was so repetitive. It was really, really repetitive. I loved the intro. I'm like, okay, this is exactly what I need. We're pumped up. Look at all these players dancing and making the U into this badass feared football team. I probably gave it a, po- a hurt song just for the intro alone. There's interviews with superstars everywhere. There's a lot of cool people talking about the U. There's like a lot of great highlights again. But you know what? The intro kind of felt like the entire movie. It just felt like they were repeating the intro over and over again. <laughs> there's players dancing. There's rap music playing. Everybody's having a good time. There's lots of football highlights because they're really good. And then it's basically, it doesn't let you take a break for a second as fast as this movie is. But everything it's saying is the same thing over and over again whether it's the jimmy johnson years whether it's the dennis erickson years miami's the bad boys they like being the bad boys they're playing great they're intimidating everybody they're winning championships they're starting a culture they do some cool things tying it into kind of a a different way of looking at the city they completely changed the reputation of miami itself and there's a lot of great moments of course 
lots of fun stuff, but it just repeats itself over and over again. Bad boys playing great. They're bad boys. They're still bad boys. They love being bad boys. They're playing great. There's so more highlights of these bad boys playing great. Okay, they still like being bad boys. Okay, everybody else thinks they're bad boys. Still playing great. Do you know they're bad boys? Over again. Everything. Again, this is the longest 30 for 30. Basically double anyone we've talked about before. And I felt like they explained everything they needed to explain in the introduction to it. And yet somehow I don't know if Schnellenberger coached one or three years. It was so fast paced. It's just zipping by, zipping through everything. It's hard to get a grasp on everything. It's amazing to say that I felt like it could have been half as long as it was. Because the entire thing was so fast-paced and they shoved so much into this hour and 45, but so much of it was so repetitive. And while it was fun to watch, I'm with you, I could have I dealt with it as a regular length 30 for 30 and I think it would have been a much, much stronger movie. I'm going to give it 2.75. Ooh, you great hard, Drew. You great hard, but I respect it. And I'll die for your right to review it that way. I was a little surprised at how disappointed I was rewatching this one. Maybe that harsh grade is because I had really high hopes going into it and really fond memories. And watching it again was honestly just a little like, yeah, we get it. Get it over with. <laughs> yeah, you're bad boys. They didn't really know how to end the movie also. They just kind of stopped at some point. Yeah, yeah. And then threw some extra stats on the wall. Like, you just... Put every sentence into this movie you possibly could. Nobody stopped talking for the entire length of this movie. And then you ran out of time and had to put in some end credits. I think they shoved a little bit too much into this movie. I loved the theme. I loved the highlights. I loved that history of that team. I'm not usually the one who's going on about the filmmaking, but I think they could have made this a much stronger film. Yeah. By maybe slowing the pace down, breaking it up into into eras a little bit more, and having more differing opinions than everybody just reinforcing each other over and over again. Plenty of those years could have been montages that you could play over like fun to live crew music. It would have worked just fine. You gave it 2.75 Herzogs. Making you do some math this time. Normally, I'm not a fan of your whole quarter <laughs> fraction system. I give it. But it seems right. 3.5 Herzogs. That makes it 6.25 Herzogs. You're getting better at this, Bob. Yeah, that's not so bad. I mean, <laughs> it's not as great as we remembered it. That's true. But 6.25 for the U, it does have enough fun factor to just crawl right over that average. And it was a big deal as far as 30 for 30s go. This was kind of a game changer. This let them do the longer format. This was where they realized that they really had something on these 30 for 30s. So they obviously threw more money into it with the fancy intros and the theme songs and the graphics. That's fine. That's the movie. The U by Billy Cargo Shorts Corbin. A game changer for ESPN, just like the Hurricanes team was a game changer for college football. Bad boys for life. Keep on docking. They mention it's directed by Billy Corbin at least twice during the intro. <laughs> they got to stretch this intro out a little bit. Oh, you they got to mean... get through the song and all these cool graphics that they paid for. You mean cargo shorts, Corbin? <laughs> no. no, I don't. <laughs> Backroom whispers. 